I'm Marianne Kolbisak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Daryl Highland, who is Principal IoT Researcher at Security Firm Rapid7 about recent vulnerabilities he identified in TCPIP enabled medication infusion pump products from medical device maker Baxter. So, Daryl, I understand the vulnerabilities you identified involve Baxter's Sigma Spectrum Infusion Pump, firmware version 8.00.01, and the Sigma Wi-Fi battery, firmware versions 16, 17, 20, and D29. Any estimates on how many of these affected products are in use? That's that's an interesting question. Trying to get the actual number and figure that out. Baxter is a well-known product. Their, their Sigma Spectrum products are well-known. They're broadly used uh, throughout the North American continent uh, and some other places, but I was never able to get a number. I mean, if we go back and we look at kind of like the history of some of the other you know, FDA kind of recall type stuff, I know there was one reference like last year of like 500,000 devices got recalled. So I, I would assume the numbers are pretty high, but I really can't positively say what that number would actually be. And in terms of the vulnerabilities, how many did you find? And then briefly describe the vulnerabilities and which vulnerabilities are the most serious and what can happen if they are exploited. We actually reported in our report uh, five vulnerabilities. Four of those were actually given CVAs. Most of them deal with the actual battery unit and code in the battery unit. Uh, But probably the, the big one is the fact that when the pump is operational, it transfers from the core pump where the configuration settings are stored to the actual battery. So they're actually storing Wi-Fi credentials on the battery. The risk there is the battery is easily detachable from the pump. So someone could steal the battery. Somebody could actually buy a battery on the secondary market. They're not horribly expensive. And if they got within proximity of a functioning pump, they could swap the battery out to theirs, cycle the power, and then pull their battery out and literally walk away with the Wi-Fi credentials to gain access to the Wi-Fi network. So to me, that is a serious risk that that's in there because it plays into a couple things. One, you know, that the physical security, somebody could take the battery. The probability of that is fairly low, but it could happen. Uh, the bigger risk is dealing with deacquisition of technology. So organizations decide, hey, we're going to change out all of our pumps. So they decide to either sell them off secondary market, transfer them to somebody that resells the technology or to another organization. And if these batteries, since they are detached, aren't or can be detached, aren't properly purged, basically they're selling, trading or transferring credentials from their device. And the odds of them actually, as they implement new technology to change those credentials, Wi-Fi credentials for their biomed network, is unlikely. So to me, that's probably one of the more concerning things. And it's broad reaching and not just in this this particular device, but in the medical community in a whole, the deacquisition of technology to me is a, a risk that we all need to start thinking about. The second and third vulnerability that were published, we're dealing with a format string flaw. This is how the code actually processes 
uh, various pieces of data and whether that data has a defined format string specifier. If one's not defined in the code, what happens is the code will interpret inputs different. So example, if, if a percent X is being processed as string data into the device, it could actually read from the process stack. Percent S can read a pointer on the stack and point to memory and read memory. Percent N can actually use the write to memory. So two of these vulnerabilities were found. One was in a very early battery unit where they had a command called host message. And in the host message, if you pass format strings in there, it could trigger this vulnerability. Again, it's a very old battery, one of the earlier versions. So uh, the risk is uh, greatly reduced as those old technologies age out and things get updated. The second one, actually targeted a process in their system, which was known as a, a Wi-Fi locator. So you can send a command to the pump externally without any authentication, and the pump would make a query of all the Wi-Fi SSIDs in close proximity and record those into kind of a, an internal database structure with their power measurements uh, for the purpose of doing fixation, cross-fixation of devices, kind of a, a method for locating a device within a multi-floor hospital based on power levels of Wi-Fi access points nearby. The attack comes into place as if I spin up a access point and the SSID contains format string specifiers. In this case here, we're able to put 32 characters, which is the max in the SSID, and uh, start off with AAAA, which we talk about in the write-up, and then finish out the other 32 characters with percent X. When this would trigger, it would actually walk down through the process stack until it found our A's. The attack vector is, is if we change out those A's to represent real addresses in memory, then it becomes possible to read or write arbitrary memory potentially on these devices. So in the cases with those, since there are several moving parts, format string based attacks are often complex and difficult. I think the risk is reduced. The higher risk is potential of denial of service. An example would be, I get within close proximity of a hospital that is using these devices and also using some form of location services, the Wi-Fi location services, and set up an access point with like all percent S's in there, which would cause anytime they called, told the pump to do a discovery, it would grab those SSIDs to process it and it would cause a illegal memory read error, basically creating a denial of services of the communication on the device. So again, the attack vector is a little more complex, like less likely to be pulled off and less likely to, uh, to have a high level of, of risk uh, or impact in those environments. And then on the final one, which I think is a little more concerning, is a process on the device where we can send a command to the device. So you have to be on the network so this makes us think about the biomed networks that need to be segmented and isolated from the overall general hospitals network type thing. But if I have network access to these devices, I can send a command to the device that would cause the device to change the IP address of its backend communications uh, service. So literally I could actually send one command to the device 
and it would reroute its communication through a targeted machine that I can control, uh, giving you the ability to do man-in-the-middle attack. That would be give you the ability to look at the data. It may give you the ability to alter the data. Uh, the one area that to me would be the most concerning in a case like that. Now, I have not tested this. This is a theory because I don't have a back-end system, but it would be something like the, the drug libraries. So if the system was told by somebody to do an update and get a new drug library, this kind of attack could potentially give me the ability to intercept that drug library update and alter it. That in itself would be a high, a high impact issue. The risk of this actually taking place, probably much lower. Again, you have to be there on the network. You have to be able to alter the device's communication path at the time somebody had triggered a drug library update. But the risk obviously is uh, potentially there. The fifth one, which we didn't give it a CV, is a physical attack. In that case there, we actually, the battery and the pump unit communicate over uh, universal asynchronous receive transmit or serial communication between the devices. So the battery hooks to the back of the pump and it has two connections for power and two for this UART communication. We're able to create a small shim device, which is a really uh, paper thin circuit board that we could drop between there. And it gives us the ability to hook a device to intercept that communication. Again, you drop the, take the battery out, put the shim in, close the battery, hook your communication FTDI or UART serial communication device to this board, power cycle the device and then power up, it transfers that data to the actual battery and you can intercept it, which would contain the uh, Wi-Fi SSID and the Wi-Fi WPA pre-share keys. Uh, and that's kind of all of these vulnerabilities in a, in a nutshell. So Daryl, with that all said, if you were to boil it down, the risk to patients would be what? Is it you know data integrity? Is it you know, potential safety issues? I think the biggest risk, in my opinion, is actually eventual compromise of the biomed network through either stealing data, injecting attacks into the device, or uh, buying secondary market technology that hasn't been properly purged, physical access to the device. It makes it possible for an attacker to get the biomed network, the Wi-Fi biomed network credentials. To me, that is the most scary thing because then it's an ongoing attack vector. Once you, an attacker would have those creds, they would have the ability to log onto that network at will. Uh, and to me, that is kind of the bigger risk because it isn't just infusion pumps that would be on the biomed network. It would be uh, any number of uh, critical patient care technologies. So Daryl, is Baxter remediating these issues with updates? And are there any additional steps that healthcare sector entities should be taking to address these device problems right now? Yes, on all of those. Baxter, again, great shout out to their product security team. We work closely with them. They're probably one of the best companies I've ever worked for for doing this. So yeah, they're putting solutions in place and patches in place and their newer units and their newer batteries that are coming out kind of mitigate and remove all of these potential risk. Uh, so it's great to see that. Uh, they're very proactive of making, making sure that they improve their security, their product and the safety of the people that are actually leveraging their technologies. 
when it comes to the bigger picture, there's kind of three key things, three key takeaways here that apply to this and apply to almost every medical technology, medical technology vulnerability out there. The first one is to develop processes and procedures within your organization on how to properly handle the deacquisition of technology to make sure you're not selling PII information or credential information, password data, accidentally by selling your products or transferring them to somebody else. So having a process and procedure to properly purge all that risk out of the device before it's sold or transferred. The second thing is segmentation. Networks, biomed networks, where this type of technology is plugged into in a hospital should be segmented out from all other networks. That means people in the business network should not be able to communicate with infusion pumps in any way, shape or form. Only the biomed network and those critical care systems should be accessible only by biomed support people and security people and operational people on those segmented networks in that case there. And the second thing is physical security. Have a good physical security program within your hospital or medical organization so that just random people aren't easy to be able to walk in and go and do anything they want without some level of challenge. I think if all medical organizations kind of try to implement those three rules, they will greatly reduce the impact and risk to any kind of medical vulnerability that exists now or would exist in the future. Daryl, with that said, what steps can medical device makers do to avoid these sorts of vulnerabilities from popping up in their products? You know, it's kind of one of those things, and we, we always want all vulnerabilities to like just go away. That would be the perfect world, but we know it's not the reality. So should we put crazy expectations on the medical community? I mean, if we think about Microsoft products, I mean, we've been dealing with the fact that vulnerabilities have been coming out every month on Patch Tuesday, and we've got used to that. Should we get used to that in the medical community and create patching programs and communication with the consumers of the medical products? The answer to that is yes. I think medical vendors should work closely with researchers. They should create patching programs and processes and communication paths to the consumers of their products uh, and do it like most other uh, large orgs like Microsoft does when it comes to vulnerabilities. And that's how we solve the problem. We may not be able to prevent all vulnerabilities, but we can actually make sure that we have process procedures and communication paths so that we can actually find those vulnerabilities get those fixed, created, and deploy those out to the products in an efficient manner. And that in itself will reduce that risk and impact to most organizations. Thanks, Daryl. I've been speaking to Daryl Highland. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.